0: Well, uh, how many of you have uh, seen at some point in time, I think it's still on, this might be a little bit of a dated reference, but I think, I think it's still a show that's on TV. How many of you are familiar with American Pickers? Okay, quite a few of you. That helps, that helps the story. So, uh, so, so good. Well, American Pickers is essentially a, a show about some guys that travel around the country, and they basically look for treasures in the midst of what other people have sort of identified as trash, and and, uh, and it's a very interesting show. It's uh, it's pretty fascinating because they they find this stuff that to a lot of people uh, just looks like junk, uh, but then they get it and they clean it up. Maybe they repair it sometimes, or maybe. Uh, Sometimes it's just that they salvage it, like it doesn't need anything done to it, they just find it in these discarded places, and and they just rescue it from the discarded uh, place. So it's salvaging, sometimes it's doing a little work, but they always end up with something that other people had looked at maybe for years, thought it was junk, but it was actually quite valuable. With the stuff they find, uh, at, at least in the limited interaction I've had with the show, with the stuff that they find, they don't really create value as much as they recognize the value of what they're looking at. So, so they aren't necessarily taking junk and making something valuable out of it. Instead, they have the ability to recognize, to see something that is intrinsically valuable Rescue it from its current underappreciated state and place it in a situation where its value is finally appreciated and finally realized. They're able to do this because they know what others don't know and they're able to see what others don't see. And so they're able to rescue underappreciated things and restore them to an appreciated condition. Um, Maybe maybe you're a person that has trouble seeing the value in in some things. I know I do. You know, I would be the person who looks at an antique and is like, Eh, whatever. Turn around and walk off. One person looks at an antique. They don't see anything of intrinsic value. And so they say, that's not something I'm interested in. Or that just looks like trash to me. Another person sees the exact same item recognizes its value, knows and sees its value, and rejoices over finding a treasure. Today we're going to look at a story in the Bible that tells us about people looking at the same thing, in this case, looking at a person, but seeing very different things. We're going to find this story in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 7. We're going to read verses 36 through 50. If you have your Bible and you like to turn in your Bible, you can do that now. Most of you won't because it's also going to be on the screen behind me. And here's what we find in Luke 7, 36 through 50. I am going to read that entire section. Now, one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him. So he went to the Pharisee's house and he reclined at the table. Note that we read over a lot of things in Scripture that we shouldn't read over. So he reclined at the table. When a woman who had lived a sinful life in that town learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster jar of perfume. And as she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair kissed them, and poured perfume on them. Again, don't just read over all of this too quickly. Try to imagine what's going on in your mind. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him, He hadn't said anything to Jesus. And Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two men owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he canceled the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt canceled. For she loved much, but he who has been forgiven little loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. It's a beautiful story, isn't it? I've titled today's message, See Like Jesus. And I want us to begin today by considering how some of the figures in this story see each other. And to do that, it probably helps to understand a little bit about each of the main players in the story, specifically the Pharisee and the woman. The Pharisees, you may know, were probably the most influential religious leaders within Judaism. They were very concerned about always doing things right. They were very concerned with strict obedience to the law, strict obedience to the traditions of Judaism. They they were very meticulous in keeping their traditions down to the tiniest, tiniest details. They were very concerned with ceremonial purity. In fact, it's reported that the Pharisees coined the term... Don't drink, smoke, or chew, and don't go with girls who do. Scholars, scholars are divided on that, by the way, but, but it's reported that they came up with that. So, thank you for laughing. I, I put extra effort into that joke, and I really appreciate it. <laughs> the woman in the story... Is the type of woman that the Pharisees uh, did not approve of. Our text simply tells us that the woman had lived a sinful life. And she had done so in that town. So understand that this is a woman with a reputation. She was known to be sinful and her sinfulness had played out in this particular place. So the people of the town had watched, had seen... The sinfulness of her life. We aren't told in the story the exact nature of her sins. Some have associated her with Mary Magdalene. Uh, the text doesn't tell us that. Uh, some say that that's unlikely. Uh, but there does seem to be reason, uh, according to the reputation she had, that her sinfulness likely had something to do with being promiscuous. Uh, perhaps being an adulteress or perhaps even being a prostitute. We don't know the reason for her reputation, but we know she had one. And we know that she had a really bad one. And so here's what you have at play here. You have a very devout and pious Pharisee coming in contact with a woman with a well-earned reputation for being very sinful. Now, we're going to see in a few minutes... And the real point of this story is how Jesus saw the sinful woman. And so we're going to look at that. Uh, but, But first, I want us to consider how the Pharisee saw the sinful woman. But to really appreciate this, we have to think through those pieces of the story that we often overlook. And so I want you to understand what the Pharisee was observing in this story. In the first century, when someone was invited to a meal like the Pharisee invited Jesus to, dining looked much different than what it does today. The guest would gather around a very low table, very low table, and and instead of sitting at the table, uh, instead of having chairs that they sat in, they would lie down with their head next to the table, leaning on their left arm. With their legs angled away from the table and their right arm free to eat. I thought about illustrating this today. But uh, I wasn't sure I could get back up after I had done the illustration. So we're not doing that. So the Pharisee and Jesus and others around the table are basically reclining or lying around this table. This was probably a public meal, uh, which meant that the invited guests would be around the table, but then the public would have been permitted to come near the table, gathering around the wall that uh, surrounded the dining area, and they were allowed to come and gather around so that they could hear the conversation of, of the Pharisees, and in this case, of Jesus. They were not to come to the table or, or actually participate in the meal but they were permitted to be close enough to hear the conversation. And so when the sinful woman with a reputation approaches Jesus, her presence as part of the listening public isn't unwelcome, but her action of leaving the appropriate place and coming directly to one of the folks that's eating around the table would have been, to the Pharisee, a very unwelcome action. On top of that, you see in the story that she poured perfume on Jesus' feet. She was crying profusely, and and she allowed her tears to wet his feet, and then she dried his feet with her hair. I mean, that's an odd scene. Can we we agree? That's an odd scene. I I mean, if you walked in here someday and a Woman was kneeled down at my feet, wiping my feet with her hair. Can you imagine? I'd probably be fired. (laughs) It's an odd scene. But but on top of that, she's kissing his feet and continuing to pour perfume on his feet. This kissing of Jesus' feet, anointing his feet, wiping his feet with her hair. Uh, According to Daryl Bach, it's likely that each step of this took some time. So it's like this is ongoing. This is something that's playing out over time. And also understand that, that to wipe his feet with her hair, she would have had to take her hair down as women's hair was traditionally worn up during this time. Leon Morris says that unbinding hair in public simply was not done by Jewish women. William Barclay says that it was seen as an act of gravest immodesty. Gravest immodesty. And and again, then there's the kissing the feet. Now there was some precedent in the first century of kissing feet as a sign of respect, but it was highly unusual And the ongoing nature that seems to be indicated in this woman's kissing of Jesus' feet would have made it even more unusual. So the Pharisee watches this scene play out. And the text lets us know how the Pharisee reacted. It lets us know how the Pharisee saw this woman. He knew her reputation. He witnessed her disregard for social Norms. And so all he could see when he looked at her is a sinner. That's what he saw a sinner. We know this because he said to himself in verse 39 if this man Jesus were a prophet, he would know who is touching him, what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. He saw this woman created in the image of God. Certainly, the image was marred, but created in the image of God nonetheless. And what he saw was a sinner. What do we see? What do you see when you look at other people? The people with a bad reputation. Do you still see people created in God's image? Or do you only see their sin? Do you only see them as sinners? Do we see people as having intrinsic value? Or do we only see what Satan has done in people's lives? Do we see people as a treasure? Or do we see them because of their sin as something despicable? The Pharisee thought Jesus should not allow the woman to touch him because he did not see her intrinsic value. He only saw her as unclean, as a sinner. So that's how the Pharisee saw the woman. But the Pharisee also had a view of himself, and he saw himself quite differently. And we know this by the story and by the question that Jesus shares with the Pharisee. Jesus shared this parable in response to the Pharisee's thought. Two men owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay it back. So he canceled the debts of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon the Pharisee answers that the one forgiven the larger debt will love more. And Jesus informs Simon that he has answered correctly. And then Jesus applies the story for Simon. The woman has expressed love to Jesus in this extravagant, even uncomfortable way, because of her understanding of how much she needs forgiven for. Of how greatly she stands in need of God's forgiveness. Simon has expressed No such love, Jesus says, because, quote, he who has been forgiven little, loves little. Here's how Simon and the Pharisees in general tended to see themselves. They saw themselves as people who did things right. People who didn't need forgiven. Because they never did anything to need forgiven for. And Jesus makes it very clear in what he says, that he knew what Simon had thought to himself. And so here is basically how Jesus is answering Simon's private thought. I do know what kind of woman is touching me. And I also know what kind of man is questioning me. The woman touching me loves me so much because she recognizes she has much to be forgiven of. The man questioning me doesn't love me because he doesn't recognize he needs forgiven of anything. A huge problem the Pharisees had was that they did not see themselves correctly. They did not see themselves as standing in need of God's grace. William Barclay writes, It's true to say that the greatest of sins is to be conscious of no sin. The only thing that shuts us off from God is self-sufficiency. And this was the Pharisees' problem. They were oblivious to their sin. They, they believed they did not need forgiven. They believed that they were self-sufficient when it came to righteousness. At worst, at worst, they may have occasionally conceded themselves as little sinners. Just little, tiny sinners. I would say that many people today, even many Christians, perhaps even some of us in this room today, we have a Pharisee problem. And that problem is that too often we see ourselves like the Pharisees saw themselves as people who really don't do that much wrong. Or if we do, our sins are just little sins. Most of us don't even sin anymore. We just make mistakes. Just a mistake. I'm not a sinner. Oh, sure, I make mistakes sometimes, but I'm not like those other people. Those are real sinners. Those people are awful. I'm not awful. This happens all the time with believers. I, most of us are guilty of this sometimes. I, I find myself doing this sometimes. And it usually goes something like this. I'll acknowledge my own guilt... In some area of sin, but then I'll distinguish it somehow from someone else's very similar sin to mine. And it sounds something like this in my brain. Well, sure, I understand sinning in that particular way. But whoo they went way beyond what I would ever do. We have a Pharisee problem. We constantly determine we're just little sinners. And here's how we're able to do this so much. Because instead of being broken by the plentiful sin in our own lives, we find someone that we think has sinned greater than us, and we use their failure to bolster our view of ourselves. It needs to be noted here that Jesus isn't saying that Simon actually had little to be forgiven of. He was simply acknowledging that Simon thought he only had little to be forgiven of. Absolutely, there are different kinds of sins, but none of us objectively qualify for only needing little forgiveness. None of us do. We are all in need of a whole boatload of forgiveness. The Pharisees didn't see the sinful woman correctly. Uh, The Pharisee didn't, and he also didn't see himself correctly. The sinful woman, on the other hand, saw herself correctly. And she also saw Jesus correctly. We know that she saw herself correctly for many reasons. Jesus' words throughout the uh, section that we read indicate that. She saw herself as someone needing to be forgiven much. And that was right. She saw that correctly. She did need to be forgiven of a lot of things. Her actions let us know that she saw herself correctly. The great emotion demonstrates that she saw herself correctly. William Barclay says, a sense of need will open the door to the forgiveness of God. She saw herself correctly. She knew that she had need. And so that took her to Jesus. We have to be people who are willing to look at ourselves honestly and see ourselves correctly. We have to be willing to be honest about our sinfulness. We have to be able to to recognize, to see our need. And it's only when we're able to recognize how needy we are that the door to forgiveness swings open for us. Not only did the woman see herself correctly, but she saw Jesus correctly. Like this woman, we need to not only see ourselves correctly, as People needing forgiveness. But we need to see Jesus correctly. As the one who can give us what we need. The one who can forgive us. The one who can wipe away the shame of our past. The one who can wipe away the shame of your past. That's how we need to see Jesus. You see, if we see ourselves correctly, but we don't see Jesus correctly then we end up in a really horrible place. We end up hopeless. We have to see both ourselves and Jesus correctly. And then we're able to have hope. Then we're able to have hope. I want to share four attributes of people who see both themselves and Jesus correctly. Correctly. And all of these attributes are present in this woman in the story. Here's the first one humility. They know they have a need that they can't meet for themselves. They're willing to acknowledge that they need help, they are not self sufficient. Secondly, boldness. Seems like a little bit of an odd one, but it's in the story. Boldness. People who recognize their need get to a place where they say, you know what? It doesn't matter what anyone thinks of me. It does not matter if these Pharisees look down on me. It doesn't matter what my family thinks. It doesn't matter who tries to talk me out of getting help. I need help. Jesus can help me. I'm going to Jesus. I don't care anymore. About all these other people. I just need to get to Jesus. If you ever see yourself correctly, and if you ever see Jesus correctly, it will cure you really quickly of worrying about things like what will people think if I go up for prayer? Who cares what they think? Who cares? You have a need. Jesus is the answer. I'm going to get to Jesus. Whatever it takes. When you see yourself correctly and you see Jesus correctly, you're going to have some boldness. This woman was bold. She knew that she'd be disapproved of. But she needed Jesus more than she needed the approval of people who were blind to their own need. Let me tell you what I think when people come forward for prayer. I think there's someone who recognizes their need, sees Jesus as the answer to their need, and there are a bunch of other people sitting and standing in their seat who have the same need. Jesus is the same answer, and for some reason, they don't get it. I also recognize that you just don't need prayer every week, so there's that as well. But but sometimes that first thought is present because I, I will know people in here need to be responding to this appeal. Sometimes I even know who should be responding to the appeal. and they don't do it. It's a good thing. When you recognize your need enough to be bold, here's the third attribute, gratitude. People who see themselves correctly and are forgiven by Jesus, they're filled with gratitude. They give their lives to demonstrating how grateful they are for what God has done for them. And then here's the fourth one, much love. Jesus said this woman understand how much she had been forgiven, how much she needed forgiven of, and so she loved him much. Those who are forgiven much just naturally love much. So here's what this means for all of us. If we find that our love for God is, Is sort of weak. Like, I'm just not that into God right now. It might be that we need to remind ourselves where God brought us from and what He's done in our lives. You might need a trip down memory lane, not for the sake of condemnation, but for the sake of solemnly remembering how much you have been forgiven. Daryl Bach says, the greater our sense that God has dealt with us in mercy, the greater love we will have for him in return. If our love for God is cold, it may well be that we have come to think that he owes us, not that he paid our debt. Do you think that God owes you because you're a pretty good person? Then you won't have much love. But if you realize how much you've been forgiven and that you weren't owed the forgiveness, your love will be great. Help us, God, to never forget how much we have been forgiven. So we've considered how the Pharisee wrongly saw the woman, how the Pharisee wrongly saw himself, We've considered how the sinful woman rightly saw herself in Jesus. And now I want us to consider how Jesus saw the sinful woman. The story tells us that in response to the inner thoughts of the uh, Pharisees, I'm sorry, the story that Jesus tells us in response to the inner thoughts of the Pharisee, make it clear that Jesus, in fact, is aware of the history of the woman that is touching him. He is clearly cognizant of the fact that this is a woman who has been deeply involved in sin. If there's any question that the person forgiven much in the story was referring to the woman, Jesus makes it clear in verse 48 when he says, her many sins have been forgiven. The point that I'm making is that Jesus is not blind to this woman's life. Jesus is not clueless to who is before him. Jesus is very well aware of this woman's history. But he is not troubled in the least that she's drawn near to him. He is not troubled in the least that such a person is touching him. Why was Jesus always so willing to associate with the wrong kind of people? Why was he... Hanging out at parties and socializing with sinners. Jesus knew that for the light to shine in darkness, the light has to be willing to engage the darkness. He knew that for sick people to be made well, they needed a great physician who would come near to them. He knew that people separated from God by sin needed someone to engage them and show them how to be reconciled to God. And he knew that the light could overcome the darkness in anyone's life. He knew that the sick could be well again. He knew that people separated from God by sin could be reconciled to God. In other words, when Jesus looked at people, including this sinful woman, he saw Who they really were. And he saw it. In sort of two ways. First. He saw their intrinsic value. As people created in the image of God. He knew who they were. By creation. Sure the image was marred. But he knew. He could see. Who they really were. Not only did he see who they were in creation. He saw what could be for them. He saw who they could become. They were created in the image of God. Sin had marred that creation. He knew who they could become in him he wasn't blind to who they had been, who they were he knew she had many sins but while he was aware of who she'd been his sight was not limited to that he both knew who she really was in creation and Jesus saw who this sinful woman could become one writer describes it this way It is not what the sinner is that Jesus sees, but what the sinner could be through God's love. It is Jesus' awareness of how God can transform people that makes him, rather than dwell on their past, look forward to what God can make of them. When the Pharisees saw this woman, looked at this woman, all he could see was her past who she had been, what she had done. But when Jesus looked at this woman, he saw who she could become through God's love. I have really good news for all of us today. I have good news for each and every one of you today. The way that Jesus saw this sinful woman is the very same way that he sees you today. It's the very same way. There may be people in your life who are like the Pharisees. All they ever see is who you used to be. And they don't want to ever let you be anybody else. They've pigeonholed you. You did this. You acted like that. You used to be this way. That's who you are. You may have a Pharisee in your life. But I assure you today that what Jesus sees when he looks at you is who you can become through him. He sees in you the person that he uniquely created in his image. Sure, it's marred, but he sees who you can become in him. He's clearly aware of your past, but it's not really what he's focused on. He sees who you were intended to be. He sees the person that he created you to be, and he sees you as you really can be. He comes near to you. He allows you to come near to him. So that he can help you become that person that he sees. God's fundamental way of transforming people is through his offer of grace and forgiveness through Jesus Christ. And so to transform you, Jesus is always willing to engage with you. To touch you. To draw close to you. To allow you to draw close to him no matter who you've been, no matter what you've done. Jesus Christ is totally committed to you becoming the person that he created you to be. He can see it. He can see it. Maybe it isn't just other people who can only see the sinner you've been. Maybe you can't see anything else about yourself either. And because you can't, you assume that God can't. Let this truthful account of how Jesus saw the sinful woman assure you today that God is not fixated on who you've been He is focused like a laser on who you can become. And so if your life is like that discarded and obscured antique that no one ever recognized had any value, and so they just threw it off to the side, dumped it in a garage somewhere, and never thought about it again. If you feel like that's a good description of your life, then you need to know this— When Jesus sees you, he sees the treasure that others just weren't informed enough to know what they were looking at. That's what Jesus sees in you. He sees someone so valuable, so precious, that he was willing to pay the highest price to have you as his own. And he paid that price because he knew that no matter your current condition, you could become the person that he created you to be. That's what Jesus sees when he looks at you. The person you're going to become in him. So begin to receive that. And to begin, begin to have hope in that. And begin to allow God to change how you're looking at your own situation. Begin to see yourself as Jesus sees you. Not only is this how Jesus sees all of us. Not only is this how we need to see ourselves. But this is how Jesus wants us to see each other and we must become people who see others like Jesus sees them. We must be people who see others intrinsic value as people created in God's image. No matter how marred the image is right now, we need to be people who can see with the mind of the spirit who they can become in Christ. I would change so much about how we interact with people. So, my prayer today is that each and every one of us would see ourselves correctly. We would see Jesus correctly. We would understand how Jesus sees us and begin to see ourselves as Jesus sees us. That we would understand that He is fully committed to who we can become. And likewise, we should be fully committed. To who we individually can become in Christ. And then I also pray that we would be people who would see those around us. Not like the Pharisees did. But like Jesus does. That we would begin to see others like Jesus sees them. And like Jesus. Knowing the intrinsic value and worth of each person. We would be fully committed to who they can become in Jesus. No matter what their present condition is. I need for you. To be fully committed. To seeing in me. What God can make of me. You need me. To be fully committed to seeing that in you. We need to be fully committed to seeing that in each other. There's Kevin. I see what he is right now. Uh. I knew you could take it, Kevin. That's why I picked you. He's a great guy, by the way. That's who he is. But he's not perfect. You're not perfect. I'm not perfect. We need to be able to look at each other and see what God wants to make of us, what God wants to make of that person, and then we need to be fully committed to that. Would that change how we interact with each other? Would that change the patience that we might have for each other? The grace that we might have for each other? The long-suffering that we might have for each other? I think it would. I think it would. And so I pray that we would be people who with our brothers and sisters in Christ, we would be fully committed to who they can become in Jesus. Let's stand. (laughs) you. <laughs>